I ask you this morning, Faith Missionary Baptist Church, what are we doing to promote the welfare of people? What are we doing that is advancing the welfare of the people of Arkadelphia and the people of the world? I introduce to you this morning a man by the name of Nehemiah. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and you're going to find a great deal of information about this man, Nehemiah. You're going to find that his name is Nehemiah and that he's the son of Hakaliah. And that's it. That is it. How many of you know Hakaliah? How many of you know now all that you need to know about Nehemiah because you understand that the Nehemiah that we're speaking of is the Nehemiah that is the son of Hakaliah? Oh, well, I... I know exactly now. I, I know what he looks I can picture him. I know what he looks like. I, I know how he dresses. Uh, he's a rather sharp-looking dressing guy, and, and, and I can picture him, and, and, and he's got just a little bit of great... No, we don't really know anything about Nehemiah, and we know absolutely nothing of his father, and I think there's something valuable to know about that. In other words, Nehemiah is a nobody. He's a nobody. Please don't be offended, but in the broad scheme of things, is that not true about most of us? Go anywhere you want and say, well, Brother Jeff Chrysler, as if that's going to carry some weight. And most people are going to say, what's that last name? Jeff what? And I know that because most people say, Chrysler. And occasionally I've been called Chris Wool. I'm a nobody. I've never preached at the floor of an association meeting in, since 91, been pastoring. And it's okay. That's not my goal in life. I've never moderated at an association meeting, and that's all right. I ain't crazy about moderating business meetings no way. But you know what I find out in the book? God uses nobodies that are willing to surrender themselves to him. God will take the nobodies of this world. People that are ordinary. And he will give them an extraordinary gift. And task them with doing things that are just out of the ordinary. And all it takes is for us to surrender to him. I submit to you this morning, as dark, and I don't mean physical because of the rain, but as dark as our world has become, as evil and wicked as the day is, if ordinary people like Faith Missionary Baptist Church, would surrender themselves to him, God would give them extraordinary gifts to do out-of-the-ordinary task. He did so with Nehemiah. We know that Nehemiah is the cup-bearer to the king. 
Now, please understand that that involves more than the fact that he walked around with a silver tray in his hand with a cup on it, maybe a white tail draped across his arm and forearm here as if he was nothing more than a, 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 a server or waiter. To be a cupbearer to the king meant you brought the cup of wine to the king, but before you handed it to him, guess what you did? You took a drink of it. So, well, I ain't drinking after Nehemiah. Well, if you were a king in those days, you would be glad to drink after somebody else that's already drank the wine because you never know if somebody is wanting to overthrow your reign and has slipped some poison into your wine. So here's Nehemiah. Multiple times a day, every day, he is tasked with standing before the king. And, and, and to sample the king's wine, knowing that on any day, at any time of sampling that wine, that that might be the time that somebody has poisoned that wine, and that will be the end of Nehemiah. Now do you understand why, as we read the text, Nehemiah comes in one day and his face is sad and the king's a little disturbed. If you're a king and you got a cupbearer and your cupbearer looks awful disturbed, you're concerned now. What's going on? Does he know that there is something afoul? And so the king wants to know, <laughs> Nehemiah, what's, 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 what's gives, what gives here now? I've, I, in all the years, several times a day, I've never seen you come in here bothered. But it's obvious today that you're disturbed. Faith. I would submit to you this morning that being disturbed about the condition of people is a prerequisite to being involved in the welfare of people. Let me say that again. I am convinced that God's people must become disturbed about the spiritual need of people. And until we get disturbed, we will never be involved in the welfare of people. It's a simple truth. So here's Nehemiah working for the king, and all of a sudden his brothers show up. You can imagine Nehemiah's reaction you see, Nehemiah is now 800 miles from home. And when he left home, he left because there was a bunch of army men with spears prodding them in the back and began a 800-mile march. And as Nehemiah begins this 800-mile march, can you imagine I mean, how many of us have ever come even close to marching 800 miles? As he gets ready to march this 800 miles with this big old uh, soldier jabbing him with a spearhead from time to time, and every now and then Nehemiah looks back and he looks over the city. It's more than the, his home city. He looks over the city that is known to be the city of Jehovah God. And as he walks away, he sees the smoke rising up and he still hears the cries 
of Israelites that are being murdered in the streets. Every step for 800 miles, he can hear their screams. He can see the flames and the smoke. So now, when his brothers show up, his first question is what? What's going on at home? Tell me about those that escaped. Tell me about our countrymen. And please tell me about that grand city, the city of Jerusalem, where stands, or at least stood, the house of the only true God. Please tell me what's going on. I challenge you to go back and look at, uh, at Nehemiah chapter 1 and about verse 3 or so, verse 4, somewhere in that neighborhood, and pick up on the words of their description. Well, yes, Nehemiah, there are some that survived. If there are some that survived, then there are some that what? Did not. And as far as the city of Jerusalem, well, let's back up. Those that survived, they are back in Jerusalem. They fled for their lives in order to survive, but they're back now in the province. And he said they're filled with disgrace. And they're in great affliction. Nehemiah, as far as the city, the gates, they're burned with fire. The walls are torn down. Even the house of God lies in ruins. What does the Bible say Nehemiah immediately did? What does it say? He sat down and he wept. Where are the tears of God's people today? Where are the broken hearts? Our capital, Washington, D.C., is not in ruins physically. I would submit to you she's got a deeper problem than the physical destruction. The city of Arkadelphia, everything seems to be great. Our crime is lower than a lot of other places in the state of Arkansas. And we have a great, you know, this or that and the other. And, and man, our high school, this is the funny thing. Uh, our high school's won the back-to-back state championships. And so that means we have to be good, Right? Where are the tears and the brokenheartedness of God's people that realize our world is in trouble? I hear God's people all the time. I've heard many brothers and sisters in Christ in the last couple of three weeks even. I just don't really think it's that bad. As long as the ostrich keeps his head in the sand, he doesn't know how bad it is. But even an ostrich will pull his head out every now and then. I'm not always right, and I'm not right about everything. But y'all, our world is getting further and further and further away from God. And God's people have yet to get heartbroken over it. 
I've often heard people talk about young men and young women that are going through a, 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 a bout with alcoholism, and I hear them say this, until they hit rock bottom. And you know what I want to tell them? That may be true often, but why do you have to hit rock bottom before you ever realize? I read the story of, of, of the, the, the prodigal son, and he's about to stick his face in a hog trough and eat from there, and I'm thinking, it's only there that he realizes, this ain't where I belong. What if he realizes that long before he gets to that point? Some of these days, we're going to have to wake up and accept the truth that there are some problems. And that perhaps we as God's people have not responded the way that we should. Israel has been taken into bondage. The psalmist described those events in the 137th Psalm when he said, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. Did you hear that? By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. What is Zion? It's the land of God. It's, it's, it refers to Israel. Now, again, I, I know I'm laboring this, but listen to me now. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept about Israel. If they weep about Israel before 722 B.C., when God brings judgment upon them, perhaps they never find themselves on the rivers there in Babylon. Do you see what I'm saying this morning? if they realize and start weeping and turning to God before the judgment falls, they avert the judgment. But they did not. And now, the city lies in ruins. The people, many of them are dead. The psalmist describes that they sat by the river and they wept. There on the poplar trees we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded us to sing songs of joy. Sing one of the songs of Zion. And they responded and said, How can we sing the songs of our Lord while in a foreign land? Nehemiah in his prayer said, God, if you'll remember, you told us that if we disobeyed you, I love the wording that he used here, although we wouldn't pray this way probably, as Nehemiah said, God, we have acted wickedly towards you. Tell me the last time missionary Baptist people have stood and said, God, we have acted wickedly to you. I know we're so much better off than they are, aren't we? But he stood up and he said, God, we have acted wickedly. But let me remind you what you said, God. You said that if we acted wickedly, you would, you would scatter us. But then you also said, if we would turn wherever we are on this earth, you'd bring us back. Nehemiah says, God, I pray that we would turn back to you. But he's going to do more than pray about it. And that's the point of the sermon this morning. Where, where are we going? 
what are we accomplishing? What, what is it that is bringing welfare to the people? I'm afraid sometimes we're like the church membership that decided to build a new auditorium. And they did so with a fourfold resolution. You see, after much discussion, as it is in every church family, there are those that say, we want something new. But you got somebody else that says what? No, we want the old. And you got these that say, well, we got to progress. You got these that say this and that and the other. And so this church had thought long and hard about how can we forge ahead and yet not ruffle any feathers and and how can we prepare a vision for the future and, and keep everybody on board. So they made a motion to build a new auditorium with fourfold resolution. Here they are. Number one, resolution number one, we will build a new building. Number two, we will build it on the exact same site as the old building. Number three, we will use the materials from the old to build the new. And number four, we will continue to use the old without interruption until the new is completed. Let that sink in for a minute. Going to build a new one, put it on the side of the old one, use the materials from the old one to build the new one, and we'll make sure that we continue to meet in the old one without interruption until the new one's completed. It's a plan that leads into nowhere, doesn't it? It is a plan that doesn't lead to anything. Do we have a plan that will lead to the welfare of people? Or have we developed a fourfold resolution that when it's all said and done, you're left scratching your head thinking, how? Does that get us to where we're wanting to head? You know, I read in Nehemiah, who is an ordinary man, and I read of a man that has a great depth of devotion. I read of a man that has a deep extent of compassion. He is 800 miles away. He is a captive. It is very easy for Nehemiah to say something to the extent of, well, if God is going to let this come to me in my life, then what do I care about what happens in Jerusalem? What do I care about the streets there? What do I care about the city gates? But Nehemiah understood what happened to Israel happened to Israel because they had dealt wickedly with God. And he saw it as a result of their own sin. And here's the thing. I, I believe this with all my heart. You know, what God, you know what Nehemiah was praying about more than the fact that the city gates are destroyed and burned with fire? More than the fact that many of the Israelites have been murdered and others haven't been marched off on an 800 march into captivity? You know what I believe, and I'll label it as my belief, my theology, and that way you can chunk it if you want to. But you know what I really think Nehemiah is getting down to praying about? God, I am concerned about your honor and your glory. For the people of the world, look at your city and your temple, and they're forced to ask a question right now. Where is your God? Isn't this his city? Aren't you the people of God? Isn't that his house? And yet... Everything's destroyed. And and I think Nehemiah is concerned about the glory of God and the estate of people. 
Let me, let, me, let me share with you. We will not care about the welfare of people until we first are burdened about the glory of God. Is what we're doing bringing glory to God? And it's only when that becomes a concern and a burden that the desire to be instrumental in the welfare of people. I want you to notice three things. The reaction of Nehemiah the counteraction of Nehemiah, and the into-action of Nehemiah. I had somebody check my PowerPoint for this morning, and they said, don't you mean interaction? There ain't no such word as into-action. I said, no, I get that, because I made it all one word. I get that. You're right. There is no such thing as into-action unless you divide the words. But I didn't want to go with interaction because the reaction and the counteraction of Nehemiah led him into action. And so that's why I left it that way, into action. So forgive me, it's not a word, but the, the, the reaction of Nehemiah when he saw this was overwhelmed. Oh. You, want to find, you want to learn something pretty neat this morning? Look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, and you're going to find out that it's in a certain month that Nehemiah asked the question and gets the report from home. Then in chapter 2, well, back up for just a minute before we get to chapter 2. In chapter 1, you find out it's a certain month that he gets the report and that he weeps and that he prays and that he fasts. In chapter 2, you're told it's a different month when he steps before the king and he asks for all this. In chapter 1, the month is December. In chapter 2, the month is April. Do the math. December, January, February, March, April. For four months, when Nehemiah hears of the poor condition of the people and the house of God and the city of God, and for four months he is concerned about the glory of God and the people that are there suffering, for four months Nehemiah weeps and he prays and he fasts. For four months. Go down to chapter 6. And you're going to find out that when they did get back to rebuilding the temple, it took 52 days. Four months, 30 days a month. My math says that's about 120 days. It took twice as long. For the mourning and the fasting and the prayer and the weeping of Nehemiah than it did to rebuild the entire temple, y'all. 120 days. That doesn't mean he got in an altar and he knelt there for 120 days. He went through life, but as he went through life, he saw things. And God would bring things to his mind. And I got news for you. You don't have to assume, uh, assume the, 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 the Baptist position and aura of prayer. And he didn't. But for 120 days, he wept. Because things are in bad shape. I wanted to show this on the PowerPoint. If you 
doubt the veracity of this. This was found in the Chicago Tribune here a while back, and it says, Florida pastor moves church services to fast lane. I'll abbreviate it. Every Sunday at 8 o'clock so that he can beat all the other services that start at 11, this pastor of the First American Baptist Church we're not talking about some off-the-wall denomination, although that could be debated, but it has the word Baptist in it. And he has ushered in now a religious revolution, a 22-minute service that includes the call to worship, the Lord's Prayer, a scripture lesson, two hymns, a pastoral prayer, and even a sermonette. And even the benediction is thrown in for 22 minutes. And this is what he said. If you get here 10 minutes too late, you will have missed it. He joked about his special 8 a.m. service and he quips that it's for people who can only take religion in small doses. The Reverend Ford, which tells me a lot, I, don't call me Reverend. The Bible says there's only one Reverend and it ain't me. The Reverend Ford settled upon this short service after realizing the usual suspects of greed and lust and envy were not his only adversaries down on the Gulf Coast. The surf and the sunshine, they all conspired just as effectively to keep the pews empty on Sunday. He said, why shouldn't people be allowed to get up and come to church at 8 o'clock, be out by 8.25 so that they can go fishing or go to the beach and enjoy the day? And he said this, and I'll, I'll leave this alone then. What difference does it make to God if we stay here for five hours and laid on our belly or if we stayed here for 22 minutes and went on about the joy of the day? Do you really think he cares? I am not a legalist, y'all. I don't get bent out of shape if a church wants to say, well, you know what, let's move our Sunday night services down to 5 o'clock versus 6 o'clock or from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. I don't even necessarily get bent out of shape if you decide not to do them on Sunday evening. But here is the problem. Our world is trying as hard as it can to shut God out more and more and more and more. And you know what's happening now? Some of God's people are doing the same thing. When I was voting and the, the motion first came up to cancel the pre-Sunday school devotion and song, I voted for it. When the motion came up to cancel BT services, BTC services, I voted for it. I'm here to tell you today, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would vote in opposition if I was the only one op opposed to it because what people need for their welfare is not less God but more God and brought into a deeper relationship with him. Where are the tears of God's people that say, instead of cutting back and shortening and cutting out things that we do for God, why don't we focus more on doing things for God? Where are the tears? Where are the mourning? Where are the weeping? You know, I find it funny as I read this story of Nehemiah, the tears were going to come. The time of sorrow was going to come. They can either come before the judgment or they'll come after the judgment. But know this, the sorrow is going to come. 
Are we going to wait around until God brings judgment before our hearts break for people, for the glory of God? I noticed that his counteraction was prayer. It's great to have that sorrow, that reaction of overwhelming to the report. That's great. That's important. And until we get that, we're not going to go any further. But I'm telling you, it's, not as imp- it's, it's, it's important, but what we do after our reaction is even more important. Because if we just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, <laughs> you know, it's a bad time in which we live. Guess what happens? We've made a fourfold resolution to build a building, yada, yada, yada. His counteraction was prayer. Anybody watch the Final Four this weekend? Nobody watched the Final Four? I am shocked. Brother Randy did? You're the only one, really? There's Stuart. There's a couple others. Anybody see the end of the Virginia-Auburn game? Anybody watched the playoffs right before the Super Bowl last year? Oh, my goodness gracious. You remember the game with the Los Angeles Rams and the New Orleans Saints? Dave, you get a pass. I know you ain't crazy on watching football, so you get a pass. You know, they're still talking about that missed pass interference call back in that game with New Orleans and Los Angeles. You know what I heard all day yesterday after the game with Virginia and... Uh, Auburn, the Virginia kid that's dribbling the ball, and you don't have to be a genius about basketball, but you, 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 you probably know this is not right. He's dribbling the ball. He dribbles it off of his back foot. That's okay. But then he goes and he collects the ball and starts dribbling again. In basketball world, that's double dribble. That's a turnover. You can't do that. The refs were standing there, but they didn't call it. Do I think it's sad Perhaps kids were robbed of the opportunity to play in a national championship game because of the mistake of a referee. Do I think it's sad that guys that have practiced through the heat and played through pain and injury and all that and the other for a full year and now they are one game short of going to the Super Bowl and now they don't get to go because of a blown call by ref? Yes, it's sad. But I'm asking us this morning, do we get as, 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 as upset and as disturbed by the, by the people that are dying, whose lives are ruined and wrecked, as we do about sports today. The counteraction was to bow in prayer for four months. A few weeks ago, I shared with you a little, I forget the word, but anyway, it, it was the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. If you'll look at this prayer closely, you're going to find it has every one of those in the exact order. Acts A is for adoration. He begins his prayer by adoring God. The next thing is his C, and he gives his confession. And again, you will not hear this in most Baptist churches today. You will not hear people stand and honestly, genuinely say, God, we have acted wickedly to you. We have, de- we have, we have rebelled against you. We have not followed your laws. We've not done what you've called us to do. We've not been involved in the welfare of the people. 
but he prayed, adoring God, confessing to God. The T is for thanksgiving, and he mentions that. And then the final is the supplication, which leads us to our final point this morning. He had the reaction, he was overwhelmed. He had the counteraction of going to God in prayer. But then there was the into action of accomplishing bold things. I love this. He prayed for four months and he walked into the king to hand him his cup. And the king said, Nehemiah, something's, something's off. I can see it in your face. I can see it in your eyes. I can, I, I can, I can hear it in your voice. I, you, you're looking down. I, what's the matter? Uh, you're not ill. If you're not ill and you're acting this way, then the king himself said there's only one possibility. There's a sadness of your heart. So tell me what's going on. Somebody look at chapter 2 very quickly and notice in about verse 4, verse 5, somewhere in that neighborhood, that the king says, I notice that you're, you're sad and you would only do that because of sadness of your heart. And then the king says, what do you want? And what does Nehemiah do immediately? Wow. You know what Baptist people today would say? Ain't four months of praying long enough? Nehemiah has been given a blank check. The king says, what do you want? You don't keep the king waiting. But before he opened his mouth, Nehemiah said, hang on, king. And he went and he prayed to God again. Churches are dying today because there is a lack of broken heart and a lack of praying to God. Lead us, open the doors, show us what we need to do. God, help us devise, to, to, to devise a plan that's not a fourfold. Build a building, uh, stay in this building to the new one's done and, and no interruption that, that leads to nothingness. Nehemiah said, hang on, just meet King, let me, let me talk to God. And he comes back from talking to God yet again, and he says, well, king, uh, if I've found favor in your sight, if I've served you well, then here's what I ask. I love the practicality of this. You know, the Bible says before he started asking, he was filled with fear. He said, I'm very much afraid. See, Nehemiah's an ordinary Joe, just like you and me. Filled with fear, but he goes to God, he prays again. And he comes back and he says, King, here's the practical side. First thing I want you to do is make sure that I stay safe. Give me letters of safe passage. Because God, if I go and I die, I'm not going to be of any service. So Lord, if it be your will, keep me safe. The king says, well, how long do you plan on being gone, Nehemiah? And the Bible says Nehemiah had realized that the king was responding favorable to him. And so he said, well, <laughs> let me set the date upon my return. And, and, and while I'm asking God, uh, or uh, king, maybe you could send a letter to the keepers of the royal forest and let them provide the timber for me. And maybe you could find, uh, provide the letters that would, would not have us have problems when we go to the trans-Euphrates and, and cross through there. Y'all read this very quickly in Nehemiah chapter 2 and see what happens. 
when all this is said and done, the king has given him everything because the good hand of the Lord is upon him because he has prayed, because his heart has been broken, because he has uh, understood that the glory of God is at stake and the welfare of people is lying in the balance. And so he's gone and he's done all this and God is blessing him and the king says it. So he's given everything Nehemiah's asked for and the king does one more thing. Did you see what it was? Nehemiah didn't even ask for this. What did he do? Look at it. Tell you what I'm going to do, Nehemiah. I'm sending my army and my cavalry. And they're going to ride along. Nehemiah never requested that. He asked for a letter for safety. But because here is a man who has looked at people. And he's heard about the city of God. And he's concerned about people. He's concerned about God's glory. And he has spent four months praying. And now he has the opportunity to do something. A blank check's been written to him. And before he opens his mouth, he prays one more time. And God says, I will honor that man. Nehemiah said, God, can I have good success? Do we ask God for success? Well, we want to, but we want to bypass the confession and admitting. We want to bypass the tears. We want to bypass the prayer. We want to bypass all this and that and the other. It won't work that way. It didn't for Nehemiah and it won't for us. Nehemiah got into action with a great deal of boldness. I played football in high school. I'll close with this. We won some games. We lost more than we won. There were times about halfway through the fourth quarter, dog tired. It's cold. It's rainy. I don't want to be there anymore. You look up on the scoreboard and it's like 67 to, you know, three. <laughs> football quit being fun then, Chris. And you walk off the field, and there's the cheerleaders with their pom-poms. You can do it! You can do it! You can! You can! And I'm thinking, no, we can't! If we could, we would have! You think we enjoy being beat 67 to 30 in the cold and rain? No, we can't do it! I submit to you, Faith, we can't do it! But we serve a God that can! But until we get heart broke and confess and ask for success, we might as well make a motion for resolutions. Let's build. Let's build it on the same site. Let's use the material from the old to build the new. And let's worship in the old without interruption until the new is built. It leads nowhere. You don't like a football illustration? Let me give you a biblical one. Jesus met a man with a withered hand. What did Jesus tell him to do? Stretch it out. If the man could have stretched his hand out before, don't you think he would have? He couldn't do it. 
When Jesus came up on the, on the lame, he said, get up and walk. The man couldn't do it. When Jesus came up to the dumb, to the deaf, to the blind, when he came up to the dead and he said, get up, they could not do it. Oh, but where people will allow the Lord to work. God will take ordinary Joes, give them an extraordinary ability to go out into a world and do things that defy the logic of those who can only think of ordinary. I ask us this morning, I, I, I may have made everybody mad, I don't know. But somewhere, somebody's going to have to call out like Nehemiah did. Somewhere, some point in time, God's people are going to have to wake up to the fact that our world is unraveling when it comes to the relationship to God. And we're going to have to spend some time in prayer. Begging God to make us successful again. And doing something that is out of the ordinary for God's churches in 2019. Father, we come to you this morning. You know the heaviness of my heart. The burden that is there. The conviction of how I have dealt wickedly with you. how I have preached for years, focused on just maintaining the routines. And God, how your honor and glory and the well-being of people. Father, it slipped. Long has it been since there was a broken heart a genuine sorrowfulness, Father, that your glory is being lessened by our sin and our failure to do what you've told us to do. I fear that a world is developing where people just will not know you they will find you if they seek you, but the world in which I grew up where you were so easily found on three out of every four street corners, I fear that that world is dying. And I fear that many times we just keep plunging our head into the sand. God, break our hearts today. Cause the tears once again to flow. And the request, God, use us ordinary Joes to be successful in your kingdom work. Lord, there's been no anger, no malice, just a burdened heart as I've studied these chapters. 
I pray that your spirit can use what's been said and done to bring about good today. And may everyone here today surrender to your spirit in whatever form, whatever shape that takes. May we have followed your will today. And I ask these things in your precious name. Amen.